Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. New Life Student Ministries, how are we tonight? Oh man, guys, I am so excited to see your faces. Oh man, it is, four months is too long, too long. Just, just so I know that you're here, if you're in junior high and you're in this place, let me hear you give a shout. Yeah, that's the sound of prepubescent boys going through puberty right there. If you're in high school in this place, let me hear you give a shout. All right, junior high, let's get some redemption. If you're in junior high in here, let me hear you give a shout. Yeah, there we go. We're doing better. Guys, it has been since, I believe our last high school service was March 12th. March 12th, and then that, like, just all-forbidden weekend hit. March 13th and 14th, COVID-19, whatever that is, showed up on the scene And it has been three to four months since we have gathered as a youth group. Um, But July 1st, 2020, we're back together. If you got your Bibles, John chapter 13, I want you to go ahead and open up there. John chapter 13. We have been in a series called Jesus is I Am. Everyone say I am. Say it again, I am. am. This is important. We kind of just say it like it's like a churchy thing. Jesus is I am. And I think it's important that we, we pause for a moment and realize what we're talking about here. You see, we, as we embrace the gospel of John, we see that John had an agenda. He really wanted to make something really clear to the early church and not just the early church, but by the power of the Spirit, the church 2,000 years later. And what he wanted to make clear was something that had to do with Jesus' identity. He wasn't just a mere man. He wasn't just a rabbi. He wasn't just a teacher. He wasn't just a prophet. Jesus is I am. Or in other words, as we learn in Exodus, Jesus is the God who was and is and is to come. Fully God. Fully man. Another way to define it, if you were an Old Testament Jew, is Jesus is the promise. If we look back to Genesis 3, we see a promise given by God that there's going to be one who comes who crushes the head of the serpent, who makes things right again between humanity and God. If you fast forward to Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, 16, and 17, we see a covenant made from God to Abraham that he's going to turn his family into a mighty nation and that through this family, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. He made a promise that all of humanity would be blessed again. If you fast forward and you go to this man named Moses, God gives him a law and he says, look, this nation called Israel is going to be my people and I'm going to be their God. And through this nation again, I'm going to make a promise that I'm going to send another to make things right, to to restore what was broken in Eden. We fast forward again 
to King David. And we see God make a covenant again to humanity saying, I'm going to send another through this specific bloodline who's going to make things right. I'm going to make a promise. And his name is I Am or Jesus. The one who made things right. The Messiah. The anointed one. And John wants to make very, very clear to us that the one humanity is waiting for, has been waiting for, in fact, is Jesus of Nazareth. And so we've been walking through the Gospel of John. If you're following us on social media, we've been releasing a service every Wednesday for the last five weeks, starting in this book. And tonight I'm going to pick up in a very specific section in this book, John 13. This is the beginning of Jesus' farewell discourse to his disciples. So if you're there, John 13, we're going to start in verse 1. But before we read, let's pray. Lord, we love you. And we welcome your presence here tonight. Four months. Four months we've been scattered. We've been all over this city, socially distancing, sitting at home, bored out of our minds. Some of us probably playing too much Fortnite. But your presence is here all the same presence is here all the same. So would you come and would you speak to us here this evening? Lord, tonight is special not just because we get to gather again, but because you are here. So help us be aware of you. Give us eyes to see you, minds to understand you, ears to hear you, and hearts to believe you. And if you're with me, say amen. John 13, brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things, everyone say all things, all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, He rose from supper, and he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put his outer garment and put out on his outer garments, he resumed his place and he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, 
nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking to all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place. That when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to which all God's people said. Feels good to hear that again. Beginning of John's farewell discourse. The first 12 chapters of John, we see John kind of portray Jesus doing a bunch of signs. Revealing who in fact he was to the rest of the world. Showing them that he is I am. And then we hit John 13 through 17. And this is a really unique part of the New Testament. Because this part of the New Testament is not found in any other of the Gospels. We don't see this discourse take place in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. And we see John has a concern here. He wants to make plain and he wants to make clear what are Jesus' last words to his disciples. What is he wanting to be abundantly clear? And so we see that he opens John 13 with saying, and Jesus loved his own. He loved him to the end and knowing that God had put all things into his hands, he does something culturally and traditionally inappropriate and shameful. He gets up from dinner, he takes off his outer garment, he puts a towel around his waist, and he assumes the position of a slave in the household. A slave. You see, during this time, and it's not hard to wonder why, they didn't have like a great set of Nike kicks to walk around with. Everybody walked with sandals. And so to wash one's feet was a sign of hospitality. If you were taking somebody into your home, it would be expected that you would take one of the servants in your home or one of the slaves in your home to wash your guest's feet. It was a disgraceful job to do because people got nasty feet. I've been on some junior high retreats in this room. I know people got nasty feet. And in the Jewish culture, for a Jewish disciple to assume this position position would have been absolutely shameful. But we see something really unique take place in John 13. It wasn't a disciple. It was the teacher, the rabbi, their leader, their master, Jesus himself. And he gets up. And he takes a towel and he wraps it around his waist. And he begins to wash all of their feet, Judas included. And then he gets up and he sits down and he begins to explain to them what he's done. And there are three things that I want to go over tonight. Because I think what we're seeing here is a biblical definition of humility. Humility. Now when we talk about humility, there's kind of a lot of definitions that we get from the dictionary from Google and what we get from scripture. If you were to try to take the word humility or the idea of humility and match it as close as you could in the New Testament, it would be found closest to the word of gentleness. But there's a lot more to humility than just being gentle. And we see this taking place here with Jesus. And so for our purposes here tonight, I've come up with my own definition for humility. Now it's pretty dangerous when you start coming up with your own definition for words. But bear with me. I think the biblical definition of humility is this. For one to be more concerned with God's glory 
and another's good than one's own self-interest. For one should be more concerned with God's glory and another's good than one's own self-interest. In other words, you see that the purpose for your very life does not exist for you to be at the center of your life. The very purpose of your life, everything that you do, everything that you say, everything that you post, everything that you think is for the glory of God and for another's good. And you might sit here and ask, well, who's the other? Is it my family? Is it my friends? Who's the other? And I want to point you back to Luke chapter 10 when you had a lawyer looking at Jesus saying, what must I do to gain to, a, to inherit eternal life? And, and he says, look, Lord, to love your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your, all your soul, all of it. And love your neighbor as yourself. And the lawyer looks at Jesus and goes, well, who's my neighbor? And we might ask ourselves this question, that to live in humility is to glorify God, be more concerned with God's glory and another's good, and by another's good, I mean everyone. I mean the person that you cannot stand most in your life right now. We're watching our country absolutely divided right now, politically, racially. And so often we forget the words of Jesus, to take a step back. And despite the fact that a man is about to go sell his own life for 30 pieces of silver, he put a towel around his waist and he began to wash his betrayer's feet. Brothers and sisters, to walk and to live in humility is to be more concerned with God's glory and another's good than your own self-interest. Are you with me tonight? Three reasons I think we are called to live a life of humility. If you're writing notes, I want you to follow me. Three reasons why we're called to live this life. The first one, the reason of Christ's example. The reason of Christ's example. Verse 3 through 5, it says this. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I want you to take notice of something here. Before Jesus says a word to his disciples, he gets up. And he does it first. Before he tells them what he wants them to do, he gets up and he sets an example. He sets an example. Have you ever had somebody ask you to do something that they're not willing to do themselves? It's the most empty request on the planet. Have you ever had somebody ask you to do something they're not willing to do themselves? Just over five years ago now, I just passed my fifth year wedding anniversary. I'm pretty pumped about that. Pretty pumped about that. My wife has become more beautiful. I've become more fat. It's been a good five years. Okay? On that day, June, June 20th, 2015, I woke up and I was getting ready to go hang out with my groomsmen at Cracker Barrel. It's a good place to eat breakfast. Pastor Victor knows. Okay? And I'm getting ready to leave. And before I leave my house, and I'm about to embark on a day of a wedding, everything's about to be crazy, both my parents come walking into my room. Now, get, just to give you a little bit of background, my parents are not perfect. In fact, when I grew up in my household, we had a lot of hard things take place in my household growing up. My father went to Iraq. We went through a lot of different things. He came back. We went through a season of PTSD. It was hard in my home growing up. It wasn't sunshine and rainbows. 
In the shepherd household, we like to yell when we fight a lot, okay? I didn't watch my parents do it perfect, not by a long shot. But what I did watch both my mother and my father do, in the midst of their weakness, in the midst of their brokenness, fight to serve and love one another every day, every day. And they don't do it perfect. In fact, they're terrible at it a lot of the time, as am I. But they walked in my room the day of my wedding, and before I took off, they gave me some words of comfort, telling me to remember to love my wife, to care for her, to serve her, to not forget that God is the one who is over and in and among our marriage, and to remind me to fight, to love and care for her every day. Now, can you imagine had I walked up and I, watching my parents grow and never watching them fight for each other if they came in and made that request to me. How empty it would feel. Now, some of you might have parents where that is the case. You watch them not care. You watch them not fight with one another. You watch them not look to serve one another. And it is, it's sad. It's a tragedy. It's why marriages don't work out. But when somebody comes and makes a request to you the only way you will really have ears to hear is if they're willing to do it themselves. And I think it's important for us to see here that before Jesus asked them to do anything, he models what humility looks like. And we're called to live as Christ lived, no? The Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians 5.1. He says this, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Hebrews 4.15 says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. No, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. What the New Testament writer is saying here is, look, you have a God who understands your pain because he entered into it first. He's not asking you to do or be or receive anything that he did not do first himself. He's not calling you to love or care for your neighbor, neighbor or your parents who, who make your life miserable or your sibling who makes your life miserable or your friend who makes your life miserable or the race that makes your life miserable or the political party that makes your life miserable. No. He says to get on your hands and knees, put a towel around your waist and wash their feet despite it. Why? Because Jesus did it. First, you with me tonight? The reason of Christ's example. Number two, the reason for Christ's commission. Jump ahead to verse 12. Jesus says, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. He is taking every ounce and level of the disciples' perception of righteousness, holiness, and respect and flipping it on its head. Looking at the world around them and the world we live, we celebrate talent. We celebrate success. We celebrate perfection. This is why Pinterest is so popular. This is why Chip and Joanna Gaines makes so much money. We like things to look good, right? 
We celebrate. It's like, woo, it's shiplap. Yes. I'll pay $1,000 for it, right? We like things to look nice. We like them to look good. We celebrate it. And we take those people and we put them on a pedestal. And we say, you know what? Your voice is loud. Get on the podium. Post 18 times a day. I like your opinion. We celebrate it, right? We love it. And what we see is we see the disciples aren't immune to this type of thinking. If we go back to Mark chapter 10, we have this moment where James and John, they're trying to claim their name to fame. They're saying, yo, Jesus, we're your homies. When we die, can we sit next to you in heaven? One on your left, one on your right. And you sit there and you got the disciples disdain towards them. It's like, ugh. And Jesus responds, Mark 10, 42, he says, And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. A.K.A. the world loves to celebrate people and rulers and put them on a pedestal. Verse 43, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Brothers and sisters, God's economy does not consist of talent, eloquence, pride, success, prestige. It consists of humility, gentleness, patience, kindness. He's looking at his disciples and saying, look, you want to be great? Get on your hands and knees and do the dirtiest of tasks for those who you hate. That's what it means to be great in my kingdom. You want to follow me? You want to live like me? You want to show the world that you love me? Wash each other's feet. Don't dislike and get into to any form of disgusting debate on Facebook or Instagram of your opinion of who knows what. No. Love one another. Get on your hands and knees. Wash each other's feet. The reason of Christ's commission. And the final reason, number three, is the reason of Christ's commitment. Ooh, I love this one. 19 and 20, he says, I am telling you this now before it takes place. The it that Jesus is talking about here is his crucifixion and his resurrection. But I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives me, receives the one, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. As beautiful as a moment as this is in John 13, this is one of the most precious illustrations that we have for Jesus' life as a whole. This is what I mean by that. We have this moment where you have a man getting down on his hands and knees, taking his garment off and washing 12 disciples' feet. And we see the act of one who shouldn't be, assume the position of one lower than for the sake of loving those around him. 
And brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you that this is the very story of the gospel. Hear me. That he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He left his heavenly throne, came down here to earth. Why? So that you and I could know we have a God who cares and who loves us. Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church in Philippi. He says this. This is why Paul says, Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I'd like to invite the worship team back up. He emptied himself. Emptied himself and committed to the point of death. And Paul says even death on a cross. In other words, the most brutal way to die. So that we can see. We do not have to live in a way that exalts ourselves. But in fact, the best way to live is to be concerned with God's glory and another's good. Brothers and sisters, I need you to hear me tonight. And make no mistake about it. The only reason you can call yourself a follower of Jesus, hear me, the only reason you can call yourself a follower of Jesus is not because you had the willpower to say yes to church and Christian living. That's not the gospel. The only reason you can call yourself a follower of Jesus is because he was willing to come after you. We have this moment in this passage where you got Peter, self righteous as can be. He's got a big mouth. And he's sitting there and he's watching Jesus, his master, go around and start washing people's feet. And he's dumbfounded by it. He doesn't understand it. And Jesus gets him and he goes, Jesus, what are you doing? Are you going to wash my feet? Are you kidding me? Are you going to act like you're a slave underneath me? And Jesus looks at him and he says, you don't understand what I am doing, but you will. I need you to trust me. And he goes, no, not my feet. Can you imagine the tension in the room? None of the other disciples speak up. Everybody's sitting quiet. Peter's looking at him and he's going, no, not mine. My master, my Lord is not going to do this for me. That's upside down. And you hear the weight of these words. Jesus looks him in the eye and says, Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Another translation says, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. In other words, unless I, God, get down here on earth and do what I have to do on your behalf, you cannot call yourself my son or daughter. You cannot call yourself a follower of Jesus. He has to come wash you. You can't wash yourself. You 
with me tonight? Can you stand? He has to wash you. Oh, that we would be a people who look to Christ's example, who listen to Christ's commission, and who remember Christ's commitment for what he has done for us. Brothers and sisters, hear me tonight. Our God knows no social distancing. For four months, you might have been isolated. For four months, we might not have been able to gather. For four months, you might have been depressed. But hear me, God has been pursuing you every single day. Every single day. And he's pursuing you right now. And he's going to pursue you tonight. And he's going to pursue you tomorrow. Why? Because he wants you to know you're loved. He wants you to know that you do not have to live the cheap life of living for yourself. But that to be his people means we get to live for Christ's glory and another's good. I'm telling you this tonight because as I look out at our world and I look at my generation and I look at the generation ahead of mine, I believe better things for your generation. I believe in the name of Jesus that restoration and unity among God's people and our nation is going to take place with your generation. You know why? Because you're going to be fed up with living for your own self-interest. And you're going to be more concerned with living for God's glory and another's good. Why? Because Jesus did it first. Jesus did it first. That's the message of the gospel. So as our first week back, as we gather, a lot of things might have taken place over the last couple months. You might have wandered, wandered away in your faith, wandered in your thinking, wandered in your habits. Tonight's a night to return back to home and home being Jesus. I want us to say this prayer of confession together as a way of simply being the people of God. And if you don't have to say this if you don't want to, but I love this. My wife and I, we, we, we attend Friday night or Thursday night with, with East or Pastor Daniel or Pastor Andrew, and almost always they end with this prayer. And I love it because it reminds us as God's people need Jesus. John 13 is a reminder that we need Jesus. So can we go ahead and put this on the screen? And I want us to read this together. As an act of faith, as we've come back together with one another, let's read it. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart, and we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Brothers and sisters, we need Jesus to wash us tonight. So for the next two minutes as we wrap up service here and as the team leads us,
want to invite you to respond and receive from him. Remember that the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has come to wash you tonight. No matter where you're at, he's come to wash you. The question is, will we receive it? So Jesus, would you come? Would you speak to us? Would you wash us? Would you make us new? Would your spirit be among us here and now? We welcome you. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.